This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to the March 23rd, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I'm doing well. Um, yeah, we had uh, obviously a little bit of scheduling issues, so we didn't have the midweek show. But uh, we're going to obviously try to combine some of the midweek and the weekend show to get you guys ready for Martinsville this weekend. I'm excited. Martinsville's a, a super fun race. Yes, we are powering through. Uh, I can't even describe to you, although I'm going to try to describe to you the situation right now. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. I'm at my uh, in-laws with my wife. And right now I am recording. uh, I'm sitting at like a little kid's desk, you know, like for grandchildren. And my legs barely fit underneath the table. And uh, I'm like off in some little porch somewhere because people are going to sleep. So I'm trying to get like in the room, like the the most remote location of the house so that I don't wake anyone up. Uh, So it's, yeah, it's a situation we got going on here. So, yeah. (laughs) I've done that before. I had a, uh, a, uh, you know, we had a podcast and I think I was in like the mountains of Asheville just trying to. That's right. A little bit of. Any little bit of internet I could, and I was holed up in like our little cabin room there, and uh, made a makeshift like dresser into a desk or whatever. But uh, yeah, I know the feeling. But um, we power on. That's yes. what we do. Here. We we power on because those thirty uh, percent discounts aren't going to plug themselves. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's <laughs> right. Uh, all right, Martinsville, uh, the sixth race of the season. Uh, really interesting in that. All the practice sessions take place before qualifying, and there's also the possibility of weather, which could impact the proceedings on Saturday and Sunday. But before we talk about Martinsville, let's look back at Auto Club Speedway. Martin Truex Jr. dominated. He ultimately picked up his first win of the year over Kyle Larson, who finished in second. Uh, Nick, talk about the winning DFS lineup and any lessons we can take away from Auto Club. Yeah, I I mean, it was was a pretty... I guess you could say routine race. Um, it, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, challenges for the lead. You know, Martin Truex Jr. definitely dominated a lot of it. But uh, Kyle Busch did get out front for a good portion of the time. Uh, and and so, you know, those two were the two dominators we had in our 200-lap race. We talked about the fact that, you know, do you want to go one dominator or two dominators, which seemed most likely because we only had 200 laps instead of 325 or 312 or whatever. Uh, and we had all of those drivers coming from the back. We had, remember, 13 drivers that failed inspection last week. And, of course, after you and I recorded the podcast last week, um, several hours later, or, or I think it was the next morning maybe, NASCAR decided that they'd give all those teams that did qualify fresh tires for the start of the race. So that kind of changed the analysis a little bit, made Harvick more of a viable play. I thought Harvick was going to be one of the best fades ever. Uh, and then they gave Harvick fresh tires. So, um, you know, he charged his way up to the – third or fourth place, but then he made a bad move and uh, wrecked. He tried to pass Kyle Larson and uh, got too aggressive and got loose and spun out and hit the wall, and Kevin Harvick 
was the first driver out of the race. So uh, certainly it was an interesting race. That made it a three-horse race between Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., and Kyle Larson. But Larson did have to come from the back a couple times to repair minor damage from the, the, you know, the Harvick incident. But uh, he came forward and ultimately finished second. So it was really Truex and Kyle Busch dominating the proceedings, and they ended up in the winning lineup. Uh, another driver that ended up in the winning lineup was Clint Boyer. He started 19th, and he was a driver I highlighted on Road of His Live as my uh, air quote Paul Menard pick of the week. One of those drivers there who, um, you know, probably would be underowned and uh, seemed to have a good situation. He had a good track history, good track type history. Started 19th, practiced 14th in both single lap and 10 lap average. Uh, and you figure if a couple people have some problems, he can finish inside the top 10 there. He did pull off a top 10 finish. So he was also in the winning lineup. Cole Witt was also in the winning lineup. He started dead last among all of those drivers, but you knew he was faster than Greg Galding, Jeffrey Earnhardt, Timmy Hill. So you knew he was going to pass a few of those drivers, add in some wrecks and, and some other drivers falling out for different reasons. He ended up in the winning lineup as a Joder cheap driver. The other two drivers I thought were interesting were Jimmy Johnson, who I highlighted in my article as a, as a cash gameplay and also meant he's fine in GPPs. If you like in NASCAR, if you like submitting cash, if you like them in GPPs. Jimmy Johnson started way back there in the back in 33rd as one of the casualties to the inspection issue, as well as already having had several bad races earlier this year. They put him even further back because of those 13 drivers that missed the inspection process. Jimmy Johnson was one of the lowest in points. So he was a very obvious play. And then the other one that I think is super interesting and was another one of uh, the sneaky plays was William Byron. And I talked about on Road of His Live how William Byron, I think, will be the lowest owned of all of those good drivers starting from 25th to 33rd or 34th where Johnson and Allmendinger were, were starting. I thought Byron would be the lowest owned. He was. But, uh, you know, he is in the Hendrick Motorsports car. Sure, they've underperformed this year. But, um, you know, it's hard to count on such a talented rookie who's performed or who's in a car that has in the past performed very well. And is low owned. So I wanted, I told everybody to get overweight on William Byron. Thought he'd be around uh, 20 something percent owned, and he was. So William Byron ended up in the winning lineup. So again, it was Clint, uh, it was uh, Kyle Busch and Truex as the dominators. Clint Boyer finished in the top 10. What Jimmy Johnson all the way from the back. Cole Witt is your Joe Dirt cheap driver. And William Byron from the back toward the front as well, kind of like Jimmy Johnson, but at a much lower price. And uh, I was overweight on all six drivers, so certainly uh, we, you know, gave out, I think, some good advice. Unfortunately, I didn't have all six in the same lineup in the Beast there, but uh, I know several wrote of his readers did very well. All right, so you also had a betting article that was on the Action Network. Uh, how did your picks do? Yeah, I guess, you know, they did about as well as you can for not winning, but uh, I didn't pick Kevin Harvick, and he did end up wrecking out. You know, he came from 10th forward and had that wreck with Larson, as I talked about. But uh, Truex won the race, and I didn't pick him. I picked Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, and uh, I forget, oh, Brad Keselowski, who finished uh, fourth and was 22.5 to 1, finished fourth. So, this is like the I think it's like the third week out of four that um, uh, you know my my picks there have finished inside all finished inside the top five without a win and then the other week of course uh, picked the winner there with with your prop bets that swept the board so doing pretty well on those bets it, we just like to hit more winners but I'm okay with every single driver finishing in the top five multiple weeks now it's too bad it's uh, not a little more like horse racing where you you know you can bet on them to like to place to show you know like. If we were doing it like that, your picks would be killing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, there are um, occasionally on some sites, you know, Five Dimes offers a top three. Um, so maybe I'll do some of those uh, for the action network going forward. We'll see. But uh, right now doing picks to win, and it's it's tough to win. I mean, you can't win every week. But I've won one out of the – I didn't do it for Daytona, but uh, we've had four races since, and I've won one out of the four. Uh, parlayed with your, your prop bets as suggested, that we're still – Breaking almost essentially even, and then all of my other picks have basically finished inside the top five, except my one long shot, uh, which was Alex Bowman at Phoenix. Um, he had a he had a bit of a struggle there that race, but every single other pick has finished inside the top five. All right, uh, let's talk about Martinsville. It is a .526 mile flat track. Uh, it often produces a lot of contact between cars. Talk about the racing that we should expect to see this weekend. Yeah, I, I love racing at Martinsville. It's just so cool because. There's really only one way around, and that's uh, on the bottom line there. It's really tough to make passes on the outside. 
it's not impossible, but it's extremely, extremely tough to make passes on the outside of Martinsville. So usually the way to do it is to get a good run off the corner and get underneath the car in front of you coming off the corner. That way they can't come down to the bottom line going into the next set of corners. So you're already underneath them and they have to give the position up. Sometimes the way to get around them is to just be uh, aggressive and hit their rear bumper and kind of loosen them up and get them out of the way, shove them out of the way. But occasionally that can lead to issues like putting a driver into the wall uh, or spinning them out. And then they retaliate and it gets kind of ugly at Martinsville. But because it is such a flat track, a small track, there is only one lane. Track position is absolutely uh, premium at Martinsville. You want to start up front. Um, there's, you know, it's only a half, a little over a half mile. So it's very easy to go a lap down early and quickly. And once you get multiple laps down, then it's hard to make up a lot of track positions. So you really don't want to go multiple laps down. If you go one lap down, you can usually get a wave around and, or the lucky dog and get back on the lead lap. And of course, at the end of the race, if we see lots of cautions that could, that could help if you're one or two laps down, you could be okay. But, uh, Certainly, if you're more than two laps down, it's a really long day. You really don't want to go two laps down anyway because it's already going to be a long day at that point. But with the stages, it does make it a little bit easier to, to, you know, maybe do some strategy or different things to kind of stay on the lead lap or get back on the lead lap or at least not go two laps down. Uh, But, uh, yeah, track position is absolutely premium at Martinsville because it's a flat track and braking is so important. You want to get on the brake, off the brake, on the throttle, very technique oriented. And you, sometimes you see a lot of drivers who do well at road course races do well at Martinsville. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a technical track and uh, one where track position is ultimately the, the most important thing. OK, uh, much more to talk about with Martinsville before that. I want to remind everyone that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Okay, Nick, you mentioned that track position is incredibly important at Martinsville. What are the other stats that are important for the model this weekend? Yeah, so... Um, there's really three main things in the model uh, that that are important for Martinsville. There's a couple kind of like really secondary things, but there's three big ones that stand out. The first one uh, is the 10 lap average in the final practice um, that shows up in all of the top 30 models is the, the 10 lap average. And you're going to get 10 lap averages for most cars here because it's a half mile track. We got a lot of 10, 15, sometimes even 20 lap averages last weekend at Auto Club, and that's a two mile track. So we'll see who you're some 20, 30, maybe even longer runs at Martinsville this weekend in practice, if we get practice in, as we'll talk about. Um, but we'll see some long runs at Martinsville, and that is the number one thing that shows up in the model. The other two factors that show up in the model – of course, our recent performance, how have you done this year? Maybe dipping a little bit back in the last year. So we've had four non-restrictor plate races so far this year. Take those four races and then the four final races from last year uh, and balance them about 50-50. That is a factor in the model. It's not as important as practice, but it's certainly a factor in the model. It's not quite as important as the next factor I'll talk about, which is track history. So the track driver rating actually shows up in a uh, all three of the top three models in terms of future making predictions on unseen data. Uh, And so that's track driver rating, whereas last eight driver rating, last eight non-restricted plate driver rating shows up in only two of the top three models. Um, So I think track history is a little bit more important than recent history for all the drivers. So uh, coin flip give weight, you know, between coin flip between recent history and track history give weight to track history at Martinsville. It's a, such a unique track, such a technical track that it definitely, uh, you know, is, is the thing we want to pay attention to some other things. Um, you know, Martinsville does have a little bit of, of an interesting, I guess, condition to it in that some drivers learn how to drive Martinsville over the, t- over the years. So longer term track history and shorter term track history, both come into play um, using the last four Martinsville races versus the last eight Martinsville races both show up in the model weighted much more heavily to the last eight races, but there is some little bit of weight you can give to the last four Martinsville races. So that if a driver has done better over the past two or so years at Martinsville, that's a lot more important than their longer term history of eight races at Martinsville. Uh, not more important, I should say, but, but could affect 
uh, could make an adjustment to their longer term history models. So if they struggled, you know, three, four years ago, but then they've learned to make adjustments, uh, that does show up. And one driver who was famous for that, um, which doesn't show now, but I'm talking back in the day, was Kyle Busch. He, he did struggle at this track um, many years ago, but over the last four, five, six years, he's been much better here. But uh, previously, had you know, had we talked, had this discussion three years ago, two years ago, we would have said Kyle Busch is one of those drivers who had um, maybe poor long-form Martinsville history, but very good short-form Martinsville history. Uh, so there's a couple of drivers like that, but, um, you know, the, the short form Martinsville history, the, sh- the last two years or so is, is the lowest factor of the four that I just mentioned there in the model. How predictive is the model for Martinsville? Yeah, it's, uh, it's not too predictive. Let's just say that. Um, and there's many reasons for that. Obviously, uh, it's a unique track, so it, it requires a unique set of skills and you get some, it's, it's hard to say like, okay, well, you know, AJ Allmendinger has been terrible this year, but he has a great Martinsville history. How do you balance those? And so that's one part where the model just, it, you know, it tries to balance it and it does as well as it can. Uh, and it, and it, that's why you have these machine learning models to do this. But even then, it's hard for a machine to figure that out. So that's one reason. But the second reason and the most important reason is just the fact that we get so many cautions here. And uh, all of these cautions can keep a lot of cars, um, you know, shuffled and uh, some get sent to the back because they get spun out. Others, you know, do strategy and get track position because of all the different cautions. There's, there's, when there's a lot of cautions, you can do a lot of different things with strategy. So you get a lot of strategy. Restarts bunch everybody up. So there's a lot of uh, shuffling on restarts. And because we'll get a lot of late race cautions, that means a lot of things can happen late in the race uh, that – essentially render a lot of the beginning part of the race useless. So I did say it's tough when you get a lap down or two laps down or especially three laps down, but it's not unrecoverable. Um, you just don't want to, but, but certainly when you get about three laps down, it's, it's usually pretty unrecoverable, but one or two laps down, you can get back on the lead lap there late in the race. And all of a sudden things can get shuffled up with a couple of late race cautions there. So, uh, yeah, the main reason is because of all the cautions that we see at Martinsville. Tracks like Martinsville and uh, Bristol are even less predictive than tracks like Auto Club or Atlanta that have the high tire where we talk about a lot of strategy comes into play or, or teams or drivers can blow their tires. Um, another factor at Martinsville is brake. You know, the, the drivers can wear out their brakes or melt their beads. We saw, you know, at Phoenix that happened to Paul Menard, um, and Martinsville is another short, flat track where that can happen. So um, not only crashes, but things like brake failures can also come into play in such a long, long race. It's 500 laps. So it's a half, you know, just over a half mile track, which means, you know, only just barely over 250 miles, but it's 500 laps and it's the laps aren't turned at the fastest pace. You know, the average lap is around 90 something miles an hour. So uh, compare that to a, an average lap of 180 miles an hour, you're going to half the speed. So it essentially feels like a 500 mile race even though it's just barely over 250 miles. So it's a long race and uh, many things can happen at Martinsville. That's what makes it much more, you know, much less predictable, I should say, than a lot of the the cookie cutter mile and a half that we go to in NASCAR. Okay. So practice is important, uh, you know, just for any of the models that holds true for Martinsville, but uh, both of the practice sessions are taking place before qualifying. Uh, So it has that impact the model and how does that impact the way that uh, DFS players should look at practice? Yeah, I don't think it really impacts the model too much because the model isn't taking into consideration short run speed. And that's where we're worried about, like, you know, are they in qualifying setup? Um, is the single lap average misrepresentative of how they'll actually perform in the race? But the single lap speed doesn't show up in the model at all. Um, you know, if, if I look at the top several models where I could um, – you know, build this model off of single lap speed doesn't show up uh, in any of the top 30 models. So ignore single lap speed at Martinsville. And that's okay because even though the practice sessions are before qualifying, the qualifying, no driver is going to make a 10 lap run in qualifying trim. So we can continue to use practice as normal. Just make sure you're ignoring single lap speed this weekend, essentially. Uh, so, how does that affect DFS? Well, if anybody does use single lap speed, I mean, that's a total exploitation right there. Um, you should absolutely be looking at 10 lap average. And especially for, for DFS players, you should be watching practice 
picking up wherever they happen to show 15, 20, 25, 30 lap averages at Martinsville. That's going to be very important as well. Um, you know, obviously there's diminishing returns as more, more laps are turned. There's fewer cars that complete that number of laps. So, you know, if everybody does a 10 lap average, maybe only 30 cars will do a 20 lap average and maybe only 10 cars will do a 30 lap average. There's diminishing returns and there's diminishing returns because um, as you go longer and longer and longer into the run, more, more and more likely we are to hit a caution. So it renders extremely long run performance useless anyway. So I like looking at that 20 lap average really is kind of like the 20 to 25, 30 lap average for me is really the sweet spot at Martinsville. So if TV happens to show that in any of the, the two practice sessions, make sure you jump on that as a, as a key data point because the model only takes into account 10 lap average because that's all the publicly released data that we have since 2005 uh, per NASCAR. But, but TV does have access to, to longer run speeds there. So that's kind of a, a um, data point you can add in yourself that isn't going to exist in the model. All right. Well, one thing that complicates uh, the practice situation is that on Saturday, there's a strong chance of rain and maybe even snow. Uh, what happens if weather impacts uh, the, the practice sessions and qualifying? Uh, what does that mean for DFS? Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting weekend because this is one of NASCAR's compressed weekends. So instead of the Friday, Saturday, Sunday schedule, it's just a Saturday, Sunday schedule that they're kind of, I wouldn't say experimenting with. They've they implemented it a couple times last year, but uh, they're definitely trying to see if this is something that makes sense going forward. And I do think it makes sense. So I'm going to go off a little tangent here before I answer your question. I do think it makes sense for the fans um, to just have to come Friday and Saturday or, or sorry, just Saturday and Sunday. I think it makes sense for the teams. They spend a lot less money if they just have to make it a two-day weekend than a you know multiple-day weekend. I know the media loves it. They don't have to go out another day earlier and stay an extra day. And, and so I know the media always pushes these shortened schedules. But when something like a weather event happens, it really complicates things because what if all of Saturday gets wiped out by rain and or snow? Then what? What happens then? Um do you do you have just no practice for the race on Sunday? I guess so. I mean, that's probably what's going to happen if weather does impact all of Saturday. Now, I think we probably will have some periods. There is a hundred percent chance, essentially, you know, for weather to happen. It's just a question of when will it happen. Um, if it happens late enough in the day, they could get the first practice session in. Um, or maybe there's a period where there's no precipitation and they can dry the track or, or melt the snow and then dry the track. Who the hell, who the hell knows? But, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, um, I think this compressed schedule allows for some issues like this where teams might be racing with absolutely no practice. So, um, certainly there's that consideration as maybe a negative to all of the positives about having a shortened race weekend. But as far as, um, you know, the practice sessions, if there's no practice, we, we don't have a lot to go by. I mean, we have we 10 lap average shows up in all the top models. And if we don't get a 10 lap average, what do you do? Well, you look at how they've done this year and how they performed at Martinsville. That's really the only pieces of data that makes sense. You'd give more weight to, uh, as I mentioned, to Martinsville history just because, um, you know, recent history is uh, just I should say last, you know, this year history plus some of last year is is less important but that's really all we have to go by. So there's there's nothing else we can take out of this. So it becomes comes down to evaluation like that. But then everybody does that same evaluation. Uh, if they're all thinking the same thing and the Martinsville being very unpredictable, I do think it becomes a good weekend to kind of – and we'll talk about this later in the show. But I think it becomes a good weekend to maybe exploit ownership percentages and things like that. Okay, so near certainty for rain and snow tomorrow, uh, tomorrow being Saturday – so uh, if that happens, it looks like NASCAR would throw a competition caution early in Sunday's race to allow teams to check their tire wear. How does that impact DFS strategy, if at all, and specifically in regard to the cars that might dominate and then also the cars that would maybe go down a lap early? Yeah, um, so this is this is really interesting. And then also, obviously, qualifying can be affected Um so we might start the field by owner points because uh, Saturday evening is when the you know, most afternoon and evening is when most of the stuff's forecast and qualifying is Saturday afternoon evening Eastern time. So we might not have qualifying. And in that case, Martin Truex Jr. would be on the pole um, based off of owner points. But 
So owner points could certainly come into play here. The competition caution could certainly come into play here. You know, you'd expect with Martin Truex Jr. on the pole, he'd, he'd probably get the early jump on things. Although at Phoenix, you know, he was on the pole and he got passed by uh, Kyle Larson there. So you don't know. But as far as the you know, the competition caution, maybe they throw it at lap 40 or 50. I'd expect it would be a little later in terms of number of laps than it would be at another track where it's maybe 25, 30, 35 uh, lap is where the competition caution comes just because Martins was such a short track. So uh, that obviously means they're pitting earlier than they need to. They, they, they can do a over a hundred lap run on fuel. They can do the same amount on tires. Tire wear isn't super huge at, at, at Martinsville. Um, it does help obviously having fresh tires, but it's not massively important there. So you could see teams that maybe want to, or maybe go down a lap early or maybe are close to going down a lap early um, stay out and uh, just just get back on the lead lap there, and then you know they know a stage uh, stage ending caution will come in another 100 or so laps and uh, end the stage there. So I, I think it helps some of these backmarker. I wouldn't say backmarker, not like the worst of the worst, like your your Timmy Hills or anything like that. But uh, you know some of these guys like your Ty Dillons or, or maybe your Bubba Wallace's that kind of range may be helped by this early competition caution where maybe they go a lap down uh, and uh, they can get back on the lead lap, or maybe they're right on the tail end of going a lap down and they get saved by that competition caution. So it does help them, all of these drivers, early on in the proceedings. That said, it's Martinsville. There's going to be other cautions. So I think um, you know what happens early in the race isn't going to be super important for some of these back markers, uh, but it does, it, does, it does help just a little bit to have an extra guaranteed caution uh, as far as the dominators, I do think that is a, a maybe a negative for somebody like a Martin Truex Jr., especially with what we've seen this year in the pit stops, which are a little more variable in terms of their uh, time. You know, many, many years now they've they've been optimized under six six crew members over the wall. And you know, we're seeing pit stop times come down from many years ago to you know, 14 seconds all the way down to 11 and a half, 11, pushing the 11 second range and and very little variance from you know, pit stops between 11 and 12 and a half seconds or something like that. Well, now with one less crew member, the new choreography team still learning this. We're seeing pit stops anywhere from 13 and a half to 16 seconds. And it's been more variable uh, among these teams and their consistency. So I do think it makes it harder for a single driver to dominate. Uh, and any extra caution makes it a little bit harder for a single driver to dominate. I think that's why we've seen some races this year. Outside of the, you know the Kevin Harvick extreme dominance, where you've had multiple dominators, like we had at Phoenix um, last week and at Auto Club Speedway, we we theoretically could have had multiple dominators if Harvick and Larson didn't have their problems. So uh, yeah, I definitely think um, it 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 makes Truex a little bit less of a super likely dominator. Obviously, starting on the pole, there's an advantage to that with the pit stop pit stall you get if he does start on the pole, um, but it also does disadvantage him just a little bit more in that it's more likely somebody else hops to the point there after that competition caution. Okay, so as far as the race on Sunday, uh, there's no precipitation in the forecast, but the high is expected to be in the low 40s. Uh, so it's pretty cold. We don't normally see a temperature that cold for racing conditions. How does that impact the race? Yeah, I mean, that's that's super cold for, for Martinsville and just for you know, NASCAR racing in general. They they. They build the schedule around making sure weather is is not as much of an issue as possible. You know that's why they go to Michigan in June and July, or they go to uh, you know some of these tracks up in the north in June or July because it's better than going to those tracks in the north in like September or October. So uh, vice versa, they go to a lot of the southern tracks like in February and March because they're warmer and and, and those those climates are just warmer and so that's why they do them early and late in the season. That's why you'll see, you know, Daytona, well not Daytona, but like Phoenix will be very early in the season and very late in the season. Texas very early in the season, very late in the season. Things like that. But uh, as far as Martinsville goes, um we normally don't see temperatures in the low 40s. We don't see it only anywhere in NASCAR. But with Martinsville specifically, one area that will impact the racing is the brake temperatures. We There's a lot of braking at Martinsville, lots and lots and lots of braking. And you can still build heat in the brakes at Martinsville in 40-degree weather. It's just going to make it a lot harder for it to uh, you know to really melt and, and, and cause some kind of, of tire failure. Uh, in 40 degree weather versus 85 degree weather or 90 degree weather or 
you know, the sun's beating down on an 85 degree day and track temperatures are 115 degrees, something like that. Uh, that is a massive difference. So I think we'll see very few break issues from overheating. Uh, and uh, it, it'll 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 make that part of the attrition equation a little bit less as far as the racing itself. Um, you know, teams do get more grip under under uh, colder conditions. So it could make passing on the outside that much harder as well. Um, just because there's so much less uh, opportunity for cars to slide on the inside lane that I think the outside lane, um, you know, passing the inside lane is more uh, more of a likelihood at 80 or 90 degree temperatures than it is at 40 degree temperatures. So I think track positions can be very, 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 very important this weekend at Martinsville. Okay, with all the uncertainty around practice and the weather, uh, that might render key pieces of data unavailable. What does that mean for GPPs and how DFS players should approach them? Yeah, well, <laughs> obviously, if we don't have 10-lap average at all, and it is in all of my top 30 most predictive models, uh, that is like the key piece of data that we don't have. The other two main pieces of data are what have you done at Martinsville and what have you done lately just overall. Um, and then there's some short-term Martinsville history that, that comes into play and then really, really, really tiny pieces of data that is like, what have you done just this year and not going back into last year, um, those four races as well. But uh, that's that's all the data that goes into my model this weekend, my most predictive model this weekend. And I always use the one that's the most predictive. Uh, so essentially the biggest piece of data is missing. However, we can still we, – we know that – uh, races are more unpredictable than ownership percentage. We've, we've shown it time and again. My my models generally outside of you know Martinsville, Bristol, and the road courses and the restrictor plate races, you take those six tracks out of the equation. The other twenty, or the other eighteen or so tracks on NASCAR schedule all range between 0.5 and 0.65 R squared uh, for the most part, give or take a little bit, but uh, much you know pre- much more predictive than those other six tracks. But the bulk of them is, is between 0.5 and 0.65. Ownership percentage projections generally are between 0.7 and 0.9. So we are much more confident in predicting ownership than we are in predicting the outcome of the race. And I still expect that to continue. And where I think it is important is I think the gap increases um, between ownership percentage confidence or, or prediction and race prediction because we're missing a huge key, the most important piece of data all of a sudden, the model goes from you know, 0.4 to 0.35 or 0.2 or 0.25, somewhere in that range. I don't know what it is without uh, – I should actually probably look it up what it is without 10-lap uh, average for Martinsville. But uh, you, you lose all that, but you still mostly gain all of that ownership percentage confidence. So you know in general where people will be going with drivers. Not perfectly, obviously. Um, you do lose a key piece of data as well, an ownership percentage in terms of uh, of, of – you know, 10 lap average being important, but all the other factors that come into play, people think they they matter more than they do, and uh, ownership percentages will definitely be something to exploit this weekend. Should you know we have no practice sessions at all? Okay, so practice data normally goes into your ownership projection model. So if practice data is missing, how does that impact the uh, the ownership projections you have? It'll definitely impact it, and that's why I said ownership projections will be, you know, certainly impacted. But I think race projections will be impacted more than ownership projections. So, you know, my ownership model generally is around 0.8 R squared uh, uh, in in unseen data, and we've shown it time and again this year when I post the the ownership projections versus the actual. It's been over 0.8, other than um, this past weekend at Auto Club where we had one of the most remarkable circumstances of with 13 drivers missing qualifying model didn't know how to handle that. It wasn't very good. So, um, I mean, it wasn't, not that it was bad. I mean, it was still, I think the R squared was around 0.68 or 0.7, but uh, it was certainly on the low end there. But uh, I think we could see something like that at Martinsville where instead of 0.8, 0.85, 0. 0.9, maybe we're around 0. 0.65, 0. 0.7 without the, uh, you know, the practice data there. But uh, I think it'll actually impact the race projections more. Instead of going from a point low point fours, it might go down into the point twos for uh, race projections. So uh, either way, whether it impacts the ownership projections more or the driver projections more, 
uh, ownership projections will still be more confident than driver projections guaranteed. And we should, we should definitely exploit that this weekend. If, if again, if we have this weather event where we get no practice data. Hey, sports fans, football season's here and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. My bookie is the industry leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event, even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Okay, so we've talked about weather for basically the entire show. Uh, let's talk about some of the drivers. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports, those guys have struggled so far. Auto Club was no exception. Uh, but Martinsville, uh, unlike any of the other tracks we have seen so far, uh, you talked earlier in the show about how track history is important. How are you evaluating the Hendrick Motorsports cars this weekend? Yeah, um, this is, I think this is a key question because they've been bad. I mean, we saw they were bad at Auto Club. Um, they struggled just, you know, to get drivers into the top 10. Chase Elliott had his worst race of the season, even though he crashed out of other races. It was his worst race by average running position. Not very good. Uh, they, they've struggled. They've absolutely struggled. And it's interesting because Kyle Larson has performed very well this year. He's continued to perform very well. Um, Jay McMurray had a better car than all the Hendrick cars this past weekend. So, uh, you know, I think is definitely something going on with Hendrick there where they haven't gotten accustomed to this new Camaro as well as the new NASCAR you know, aero packages and rules, uh, and they're struggling to get a grip on. The thing is, Martinsville is much less dependent on aero package and much more uh, in the driver's hands. Now, obviously, mechanical grip still matters at Martinsville and getting your car to turn through the corners and all that is still very important. But the driver has a lot more influence, and that's why we see something like track history instead of type history or just overall you know, recent race history come into play. And, and track type is actually slightly, like I said, more weighted than last eight overall race uh, history. So this is where some of the drivers like Jimmy Johnson can overcome that. I think experience certainly helps, and that's also why we see, I think, short-term and long-term term Martinsville form come into play here. I mean, Jimmy Johnson – has the seventh best driver rating at Martinsville over the last eight Martinsville races. If you're, you know, thinking of him as a driver that is is more like a low 8K or, or something like that range driver, you're gonna be you're gonna be missing out on him. So um, you know, definitely don't discount the guy who has what is it 11 grandfather clocks at Martinsville, something like that. Uh, we made the joke what was it the other weekend about uh, daylight savings time and how Jimmy Johnson had to change all his clocks, but. Uh, yeah, he might add another clock to that collection this weekend. I certainly wouldn't be surprised. So focus much more on track history than what's going on with the, the Hendrick Motorsports cars this year in 2018. And I think you'll you'll be okay. I mean, that's why we see drivers – I mean, obviously we're going to dive into drivers. But, like, that's why we see drivers like A.J. Allmendinger or Danica Patrick even um, do well at Martinsville because it, it's, it's a rhythm track. And Danica Patrick was always able to get into a rhythm at Martinsville, and she produced multiple top 15 finishes – Whereas she had very few top 15 finishes in her career, she had multiple, multiple top 15 finishes at Martinsville. So, uh, yeah, it, it's certainly a track that benefits drivers more than, you know, uh, relying on, on team history. Okay, uh, looking at the key stats that you've identified for Martinsville, who are the top tier drivers in the best position for success? Yeah, I think number one overall, um, pretty much a slam dunk, is Kyle Busch. We've seen what he's done this year. Um, he's dominated multiple races or you know, been a dominator in multiple races. He's been in the hunt for multiple wins. Uh, he also has a great Martinsville history. Last eight Martinsville races, 128.3 driver rating, which is – I think it's insane for a track that has uh, you know, potential for so many DNFs. His average finish is 2.8 over the last eight Martinsville races. I mean – 
I think that's just bananas that uh, that is, you know, his average finish is 2.8 over the last, uh, I should say, um, that was over the last six. Over the last eight, it's 5.6 and then 117 driver. And still, that's bananas for Kyle Busch. But uh, he's definitely the, the go-to guy here. Um, you look at short-term, long-term history, Kyle Busch is the one that has the best Martinsville track history. Um, another guy who's right up there is Brad Keselowski, uh, second best driver rating. And, uh, you know, he's led 12.9% of the laps over the last six Martinsville races. Um, so, you know, I think Kyle Busch and Brad Keselowski, especially if Keselowski is maybe undervalued relative to Kyle Busch, Truex, Kevin Harvick. Uh, I think Keselowski is a very sneaky play this weekend. Um, you know, because if you look at the top four, it's Kyle Busch, then Brad Keselowski, then Truex, then Kevin Harvick in terms of average finish at Martinsville. And, uh, the same four of the same uh, I should say all four of those guys show up in the top five in driver rating, along with Joey Logano as well, who could be kind of a sneaky play here. Then the next two names, Denny Hamlin and Jimmy Johnson in driver rating, are two names that are synonymous with Martinsville success. So uh, those are really your top six. But I think of those top six, I like getting on Brad Keselowski. I like getting on Joey Logano because it's an equalizer here. And uh, we know those guys have talent. So uh, I think they could be – Especially Lagana could be the lowest owned of those, you know, those big six names that I just mentioned, um, or big seven, I should say: Kyle Busch, Kozlowski, Lagano, Truex, Harvick, Hamlin, and Johnson. I think uh, Lagano might be the driver to exploit this weekend, especially if we don't get any practice. Okay, uh, any of the drivers in that middle tier or uh, maybe kind of lower tier who stand out to you based on the key stats? Yeah, well, we always have to mention A.J. Allmendinger. He has an 80.8 driver rating at Martinsville over the last six races. He's had some ups and downs, some wrecks, but uh, generally his average running position uh, in the non-DNF races that he's had has been very good. So, um, you know, A.J. Allmendinger is a driver, 10.5 average running position in his non-DNF races would put him sixth best among all drivers. So um, a, a driver we should always mention at Martinsville. But I do think um, because he's always mentioned at Martinsville, his ownership percentage could be pretty high. Uh, I think another name in terms of the mid-tier that kind of stands out is Jamie McMurray. I mean, I mentioned the big big seven there. And then after the big seven, it's kind of a jumble between a bunch of drivers, but uh, a couple expensive drivers and then some cheaper drivers like Jamie McMurray. 83.1 driver rating at Martinsville. Uh, and I know he struggled a bit this year, although last weekend at Auto Club was a lot better for him. But I know he's had his struggles this year. But this is, again, a driver's track. And uh, Jamie McMurray seems to do pretty well at here. Usually keeps his nose pretty clean. Uh, so I, I like Jamie McMurray in the mid-tier. You also have to like uh, Ryan Newman in that mid-tier. Newman and McMurray, I think, oftentimes they show up at very similar tracks, tracks where experience comes into play. Tracks where uh, keeping your nose clean comes into play. Both of these guys tend to show up at, at, at your tracks like Phoenix and Martinsville, for example. So uh, in the mid-tier, Jamie McMurray and Ryan Newman, I think, are great plays this weekend. And finally, um, in, in terms of a, a driver that might be like cheaper, um, just because he's on a less premium team, is Casey Kane. He's at Levine Family Racing, right? And uh, he, he's dropped down to that team that Michael McDowell was on last year, no longer at Hendrick Motorsports. Well, if we're going to give him a huge discount just because he changed teams, I think that could be a mistake. He basically has the same driver rating as Ryan Newman, A.J. Allmendinger, you know, Blaney, and McMurray over the last six Martinsville races. Uh, and now we get a big discount on him because of, of him switching teams there. I think uh, Casey Kane is a super interesting name this weekend uh, for, you know, for DraftKings purposes. Okay, and uh, any drivers we should be looking to avoid based on the key stats? Well, if we're if we're talking about drivers, you know, to look at avoiding um, it, it, like you said, it has to be relative to their price or to the key stats and also relative to their price. And I think uh, Kyle Larson is a driver that fits the bill. Ninety seven hundred dollars. He's not in the big seven there of, of the names that I mentioned. Sure, he's the next one, but uh, he is priced at sixth best and where he really should be priced, maybe eighth or ninth best at, at Martinsville. I mean, I know you have to give some weight to this year history. So maybe he's fairly priced, but uh, certainly this is not one of his best tracks. He's admitted that in the past. And I think, uh, you know, Kyle Larson is a name that we could, we could maybe avoid a little bit. Um, another name that I think is, is maybe a little bit, a couple names I think I should, I should say that are a little bit bigger. These drivers in the eight K range, you know, you look at uh, Kurt Busch, Clint Boyer, uh, Eric Jones and Eric Almarola. 
there, Eric Almarola is eighty nine hundred. Kurt Busch eighty five. Clint Boyer eighty three, and Eric Jones eighty one. They essentially make up the eight K tier, other than Ryan Blaney at eighty seven hundred. Well, Blaney uh, has the highest driver rating of all these guys at eighty one point two. The next highest is Kurt Busch at seventy six point eight over the last eight Martinsville races. Then you have to go down to Clint Boyer at seventy two point five, Eric Jones seventy one point nine, and Eric Almarola, of course, on an inferior team at sixty six point three. So you probably give him a boost there, but it doesn't really push him above Kurt Busch or anything like that for me. So I think, uh, as well as the Stuart Haas cars have done this year, maybe there's a, a little bit of a disadvantage for them this weekend just because of their specific drivers. I mean, Almarola's never contended for a championship. Clint Boyer's never really contended for a championship. He's won some races. Kurt Busch, been a champion in the past, won the Daytona 500 last year, but that's kind of an equalizer, uh, but uh, hasn't really been a contender for a championship in the past several years. So I think these Stuart Haas drivers could be a little overpriced and maybe drivers to avoid this weekend. Um, I did talk about how Eric Almarola uh, obviously was in lesser equipment. equipment. Clint Boyer was in lesser equipment in the long-form history, so he's one of those drivers you know, if you look at short-form Martinsville history versus long-form Martinsville history, uh, should get a boost just because of his short-form Martinsville history being in Stuart Haas. But uh, even then, Martinsville hasn't been a super crazy strong track for him this weekend. But I'd probably avoid somebody like Eric Almarola, who's priced at 8,900. I think I'm okay with Eric Jones, even though he's he's uh, his driver rating maybe if you know if you were to adjust Almarola's for the team. Eric Jones' driver rating might be the lowest. He also has the, the best price point at 8,100. But, uh, yeah, I think this is range is tough. Although, uh, that said, there's, you know, four very good cars here that are four very good drivers here that don't have super great Martinsville history. But, you know, if, if one of them ends up starting further back uh, and there's a lot of variance, certainly one could squeeze into the top 10 in the winning lineup. I just wouldn't go necessarily crazy on any of these drivers unless we think their ownership percentage is going to be super low then that's going to be something to exploit in the positive direction is to go overweight on one of these drivers because we're talking so negatively about them. But uh, kind of a complicated situation. There's a lot of theory and dynamics to it, and we'll have to see how things play out on Saturday with practice and with the, the possibility of yes or no practice, yes or no qualifying. But at least as far as relative to salary and relative to the stats that we're looking at, these are four drivers I'd probably be avoiding. Uh, okay, Nick, what is the content schedule for this weekend? Uh, so content schedule tomorrow, I'm essentially going to be working on NASCAR content all day. I'm going to get everything prepped, uh, for, um, the possibility of qualifying or not, uh, the possibility of practice or not, but I'll have all my data prepped and ready to go. And, uh, I'll be following the news just like everybody else will be with regards to practice and qualifying. But, uh, as soon as I know when the last on track activity will be concluded, if we have any, I'll get to work right to work on the articles and updating the apps. Um, the Splits app will be updated tomorrow morning, probably around noon Pacific time, I would think, um, because that's not dependent on any of the data this weekend. But practice data and qualifying data do go into the model. They do go in the model is projections go into the ownership project or the the optimizer, I should say, uh, and then practice and qualifying data go into the the SimScores app. So those apps will be dependent on when we know when the final on-track activity will be, and then I'll try to update them as soon as possible after we know, after we are, have a confirmation of, of when the final on-track activity will be. So after the final on-track activity ends and we have confirmation of that, I'll update the apps, get my article out, and then get the Action Network betting article out as well. So it's going to definitely be a busy tomorrow for me, so I'm taking tonight off to uh, enjoy uh, a glass of wine and maybe a Tecate. Man, I... Uh... I, I can't even okay so I, I thought of this question here um and sim scores how do you do sim scores without practice times yeah um i think uh, i'm going to just add the weight of practice time to zero so the sim scores are weighted usually based off the model weights um for like 90 percent of the sim scores are based off the model weights as well but uh, if there's no practice then i have to just weight the practice factors to zero and uh, we'll have a lot of things like driver history and track history. And, of course, we'll be pulling in track history a lot more than we'll be pulling in driver history. Uh, and it'll essentially be completely ignoring practice times. It'll still pull in qualifying because, um, you know, dri where drivers start, it doesn't go into the model. But at least it'll, it'll show you, it'll pull up drivers starting in similar positions that have similar histories at, at Martinsville or similar tracks. 
because that'll help you with DFS purposes, knowing how these drivers finished that started maybe 25th. You know, I, I think they're even though starting position doesn't show up in the model. I do like that. That's where I say 90% of it goes into the sim scores. I do like to throw in starting position because then it gives you an idea of uh, other drivers that started in a similar position. But I'm going to set the sim score weights for practice to zero if there's no practice because uh, it doesn't make any sense to to weight practice at all. So it'll be the same sim scores. I'll just have to weight practice to zero and we'll see what pops up. All right. That's fascinating. Uh, one quick note, next week there will be no show uh, because there is no race, and also Nick is having his surgery. So, uh, Nick, good luck with that. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, nothing major. Uh, I'm, I deviated my septum many, 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 many years ago, and then about uh, 2009, it was, it was 2009, I broke my nose playing basketball. Um, I, I beat up a guy, but he got one kick on me there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I turned around and his chest happened to be right there. Total fluke thing. But, uh, my ENT told me not to get it fixed until I was done playing sports and, uh, been done playing sports for a couple of years. So finally decided to get that fixed on a NASCAR off weekend. Uh, one other thing wrote of his live this weekend will be three hours before lineups lock. Uh, so it'll be 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. So I'm going to have to wake up early on Sunday just to do Road of His Live for you guys. But uh, Road of His Live will be 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, roadofhis.com, no, twitch.tv slash Tecate. <laughs> okay. Roadofhis.com slash live. Yep. Uh, okay. That's going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Kiffin on Twitter, at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Thank you for listening to On The Daily, the Road of His Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Road of His Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. They call you the Grill Master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.